from Green Biz Group, welcome to this week's edition of 350. I'm Joel McCower here in Oakland, California. On this week's edition, is supply chain sustainability software the next big thing? Inside a new venture fund focusing on circular and regenerative startups, why carbon offsetters are targeting state lands, and why the temperature is rising on heat as an ESG issue. Is it hot in here or is it us? This week on 350. It's May 6, 2022. Welcome to another edition of Green Biz 350. So glad to have you with us. Joining me from Midland Park, New Jersey, cool as a cuke, is Green Biz Editorial Director Heather Clancy. And may I point out that you can't spell Heather without heat. <laughs> hey, Heather. Whoa. Joel, <laughs> you are not yourself. <laughs> Actually, you are yourself, but you don't sound like yourself. How are you? What's up? Yeah, I, I got a, a, my first cold in, in over three years. Um, and so... Uh, you know, my wife had it. Now I've got it, and you know, I'm sure the dogs will get it next or something. Uh, no, just it's it's just a head cold and uh, nothing more, nothing less. So I'm just working. It's working its way through my body, but in the meantime, I don't sound quite like me. But mm. um, how are you doing? You know, I'm okay. Uh, Notice that there's many people around me or have been sick, which is a little weird. But you know, it's. It's finally spring here in New Jersey, and I'm I'm just kind of looking on the bright side. And um, actually, for the first time in three years, uh, my my singing group is going to actually have a actual performance. So that's, oh, nice. I'm preparing for that and um, looking forward to that. And for um, those of you who who aren't in the know, our Ms. Heather Clancy is an acapella singer with an acapella group called uh, Heartstrings. Heartstrings. Yep. Yeah. And um, uh, we will look forward to just maybe posting a video or something of oh, that. Geez, no. <laughs> no. Right, well, it's it's cool. I've seen videos of you. Singing. I know. I really, I really enjoy them. It's a mm -hmm. different side of Miss Heather. Uh, but you know, back to the health thing. Glad people are to the extent they have to be sick or doing it now. We, uh, at least on our team, um, in the run up to green to Circularity Twenty Two coming up a week from two next Tuesday. Mm -hmm. on the 17th of May. Um, that's coming up. Are you, uh, what, are you what are you doing at, at uh, this year at Circular? Do you have panels? Ooh, yes. Uh, two on my very favorite topic, or at least my very favorite topic this week, uh, traceability in supply chain. Um, so I have a couple of topics related to that. And then another of my really int uh, intriguing uh, <laughs> topics is e-waste. So I have I have three sessions I'm doing. I'm um, also looking forward to sitting in and, and just sharing and imbibing the circularity vibe, um, being there in, in person. I, it was a terrific first event, although many years ago now in person, um, you know, I'm talking, we had a couple of really great virtual events too, but it's, it's going to be wonderful to get back with everyone. What about you? Um, what's, what's on your agenda? Uh, I've got a number of, uh, well, a couple of main stage sessions and uh, one or two breakouts. So I'm excited about one that's, I think it's going to close out, well, one of the days, I don't remember what, uh, it's called Tried, Failed, Learned. It's, mm -hmm. In other words, uh, it, it's got uh, someone from Levi's, someone from L'Oreal, and someone from a company called Human Scale. Um, you know, 
it's always pretty easy to get people to come and speak about things that worked, things that they succeeded in, things that went pretty much as planned. Much harder to get people to talk about things where they tried and failed. Mm -hmm. Um, Nobody loves to talk about failure, but failure, as we certainly know out here in Silicon Valley, um, is a stepping stone to to success. Um, Sometimes a major uh, stepping stone in the learnings that come from that. So we're going to have a conversation about how companies are managing that. Um, and then, yeah, I've got another one on collaboration, uh, pre, pre-competitive collaboration with um, Starbucks and Target and, mm-hmm. and Closed Loop Fund, um, looking mm-hmm. at uh, the, the challenges and how they've gone about trying to create uh, the sustainable cup um, uh, or whether it's reused, compostable, uh, or, or recyclable, and and for Target, uh, a uh, reinventing the the plastic uh, shopping bag. So yeah, some good conversations uh, from real companies doing real things. Uh, always great to hear those. So yeah, uh, and we'll be live streaming the uh, the main stage part of that. So um, uh, st- stay tuned for more on that. But. For now, stay tuned for the Week in Review. So I'd love to start with one of your pieces, Joel, um, from this week, because it was one, when I got it to edit, I thought, well, yes, Um, it's a topic that... um, has been on everyone's mind this week with all of these stories out of India and other places. Um, the temperatures are rising, the, the, the excessive heat that we're seeing in a couple of areas of the world. I mean, basically no spring in India, as that was what some of the headlines were. And, you know, how this is not really um, on the radar. We talk a lot about flooding and drought, um, but there's so many implications when it comes to this excessive heat uh, I'll let you talk a little bit, but I have some thoughts as well um, that I would love to close out this segment with. Um, but you know, why, why this topic, and, and why should our our audiences be tuning in more to this? Sure. Well, uh, it is uh, becoming. I hate to say this, and I know you'll cringe, but a hot topic. Um, it just if you haven't been uh, tuned in to what's been going on in India and and, and Bangladesh and and environs the. Temperatures for the past week or so have been in the low hundreds. Has gone up, I think, as much as uh, 110 Fahrenheit. Um, I know that uh, I believe in in one town in Bangladesh they were just below 50 centigrade, um, which is the point at which uh, basically the human body is unable to cool itself. So a lot of heat, obviously linked to climate change, um, and but the. The implications are much, much bigger. I mean, if it was only the, the hundreds of millions of people who are encountering encountering this, it would be bad enough. But if we look, if we step back and look at the the implications for business, one one implication of it is that India is now boosting its coal production to record highs to overcome the fuel shortage that strained the power supply, leading to blackouts. At the same time, they're having this 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 massive heat wave. Uh, people need more energy, render air conditioning, air conditioners, and things like that. So, uh, as a result of the heat, more coal production—that's um, not a good thing. Um, the the story that got my caught my eye was uh, was record temperatures in India are causing toxic landfills to burst into flames. 
and and a related story about a 17th story tall mountain of garbage that spontaneously combusted. I assume these are two angles. They are two angles to the same story. It's like, wow. First of all, there's a 17 story landfill. That's pretty remarkable. But the toxics, you know, within that are spontaneously embedding. This is a, a, not isolated to India and, and, and Bangladesh and Pakistan. This is um, uh, we're seeing this more and more around the world. We had uh, massive heat uh, a couple years ago, I think, in uh, Pacific Northwest and in, in British Columbia that was uh, devastating to crops and things like that. Oh, by the way, the other thing was that India was hoping to that its wheat crop could pick up the slack uh, of, of the wheat that comes from Ukraine, which is significant uh, supplier of wheat to the world. And that uh, that crop has been uh, devastated, if not decimated, by the heat. So this is not a drill. This is a real thing. This is also, I think, a, a harbinger of things to come. And, and there's a lot of work being done, uh, you know, around heat, even before climate change, just workers working in heat of any kind, indoors or out, is has become uh, a bigger issue at uh, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration and the Biden administration and um, lots of other things. Oh, and by the way, one last thing is that researchers from the University of California Davis found that stocks go down by about, you know, half percent plus or minus in the first 20 days after the beginning of a heat wave um, or up down two thirds of a percent in longer heat waves. And, um, you know, that's not nothing either. That's we're talking hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars of equity at risk here as well. Yeah, so you you covered most of the things that I was going to say. I mean, I think for me, um, you know, the food implications are are pretty pretty devastating um, for the reasons you've always already mentioned, as well as the farm workers. The thing that I also would like to underscore is the the cold chain implications and the the mm. need for air conditioning. Um, and this is this is one of the things that um, you know, if you talk to to researchers or you you, you listen to um, individuals talking about, you know, sort of the um, reinforcing cycles, the ripple effects, you know, as temperatures increase, you need more energy, you need more air conditioning, and and therefore we need better approaches, um, more climate friendly approaches to things like cold chain, things like air conditioning, um, you know, what do we take out of, of air conditions in terms of the refrigerants to make them more um, environmentally sustainable, because we're going to need them, right? We have to electrify, we have to take the the um the 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 stuff out of them and 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 you know so it it really just pushes the need for innovation on 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 things that keep humans and food and medicines and and um so forth at a temperature that is um you know fit for life and we haven't even i mean i actually haven't read anything on um the implications on on animal husbandry like what happens to animals in this yeah. kind of heat um what and you know we already you know you mentioned the landfills of course methane will respond differently in in this kind of heat as well I mean there's just so many scary implications and, yeah and I appreciated you bringing this to our attention yeah and, and just last thing I think you know those feedback loops you're talking about are, are part of um, things we don't necessarily think about we think about you know the thing at hand the heat this week in India and and, and the region um, but. Yeah, these things do cascade out really quickly. And you think about that, you know, uh, Moody's uh, looked at the 
physical risk to sectors from heat included manufacturing, transportation, and warehousing, utilities, food, mining, construction. Um, you know, these things have much, much broader implications than just uh, another, you know, day of weather, I guess. But let's move on to a, a story that you did, Heather, on on uh, supply chain software. That stuff's been around for a while, but it, but there was a big big funding event last week uh, for a company that that we actually know pretty well. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah. So. Um... Those of you who have heard me blab on before know that I love software. So what I used to cover and um, one of the things I've been covering very closely, one of the stories is is the carbon accounting software movement and sustainability management. There's a lot happening over there. But this is the this is the um, I think one of the stories of this year, the supply chain software. Um, I'll get to the the funding event you mentioned in a moment, but just it, I think it's just worth a little bit of background, which is that there's a lot of different um, types of applications that can inform the supply chain strategy of a sustainability team. You know, everything from sourcing, like what is the sourcing um, profile of this supplier? You know, are they, do they meet these metrics um, as far as environmental performance goes? Then there's the, you know, um, how do you keep on top of um, what's happening throughout the supply chain, the, the sort of traceability story? And that's actually one thing that I'm going to be uh, talking about quite a bit at circularity, which is, you know, what happens way down at the end of the supply chain um, where um, you've got individuals such in, you know, in the case of plastic waste, as an example, that are, that are collecting it and bringing it to places to be processed and that somehow it's making its way up the supply chain. So there's a lot of different categories. Um, the, the, the funding event that you mentioned is for a company called um, HIG. So San Francisco-based HIG. Uh, it's a startup that spun out of a project that was started as, as sort of a, an apparel industry um, movement um, for the HIG. It's called the HIG Index. And I think a lot of people on this uh, podcast will will know that name. Um, it, it it became a really widely used platform um, for just information about things that go into apparel. Um, it, it currently connects more than 50,000 brands and manufacturers. Um, and so it was spun out as a, as a software application to become, uh, to, to get, you know, in, into other industries and so forth. And the, the company behind it um, raised $50 million in a series B round. And, you know, when it comes to software, that that's a, that's a really healthy um, uh, kind of funding, you know, software versus hard what they call hard tech you know where there's actually a thing being being made um you know there's a lot of differences between those but a 50 million dollar round is very very sound there's a, also a, several other um funding announcements that, that i noticed earlier this year one an organization called supply shift out of santa cruz um uh, and, and actually a really interesting company called Sourceful, a, a UK startup and they raised 20 million in a series a round in late march um, and they're specifically focused on helping um, companies that are shipping items pick pick packages, pick boxes, protective materials, and and vet them for not just price, but for material extraction impact, for um, you know understand what the energy profile, of the supplier, and also transportation policies. You know how does this stuff get around? And so you know I feel like we've hit a tipping point with the startups in this space. There's definitely a lot of funding activity. Um, not at the same scale as as we see on the you know sort of all these carbon accounting tools, but it's definitely picking up. 
And to your point, yeah, this has been around. I mean, we, we've talked to companies like Ecovatus, which, which does ratings. Um, they've been around for quite a while. Uh, and, you know, but it just feels like we've hit a tipping point. And the other thing that makes me say that as far as a tipping point is that you're starting to hear the big enterprise software companies talk about it more. Um, SAP has been talking about this for quite a while, but all but just in the last month, uh, two other companies, so Workday, which I think many of you th might know as, as sort of an HR software company, they also have a lot of um, business spending applications and they're adding to their financial management software metrics that help um, companies understand their supply chain better, as is Coupa. Um, it's another company that is uh, focused on business, you know, manage, helping businesses manages, manage their procurement. So those companies are starting to add these considerations in. So I, I really do think we've hit sort of a moment in which we're going to see a lot more activity um, with supply chain software and actually activity that goes beyond the pilots that we've been writing about for you know, many years. I haven't even talked about blockchain. I'm not going to <laughs> yet, oh, at least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so that's kind of what, what made me go off on this topic. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, HIG is a great success story coming out of the Sustainable Apparel Coalition. And I love mm -hmm. when when nonprofits like SAC uh, uh, spin out uh, a, a viable for-profit uh, idea, this is this is great. And kudos to Jason Kibbe and the rest of the team, uh, James Schaefer and others there who have have sh been shepherding this. Um, I guess my question, uh, Heather, is uh, supply chain getting information from suppliers and suppliers suppliers has always been so cumbersome because it's so sprawling and. And 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 many sometimes many steps removed from the ultimate buyer of those supplies. Does this? I know this. These the software I'm sure makes it easier to compile all that, but does it make it easier to actually get the data in the first place? So, you know, I, I think you could flip a coin on that answer. But what I will say about um, the ones that are focused. So uh, let's just step back and talk about the the software that's focused on procurement, right? Companies are already using that software, and it's just a matter of adding more data points. Um, you know, in terms, they already have the relationship; they already have the data flowing in. It's already in in the enterprise resource planning system of the company, and so turning on some additional data points, I think, is could be fairly straightforward. And so, I think, in my opinion, the the work that some of these larger certain more established companies are doing is, is super important and that that could be a way of, of helping the sustainability team get to the data that it needs you know that they've been wanting to get and that hasn't necessarily been gettable if, with through all these like like startups and the pilots that are kind of one-off in, in in individual locations so i feel like there's there's strong potential there now the, the challenge of course is that who manages that software right it's over in the IT team, like who who influences what you're collecting, who makes that decision. So it's, you know, I've kind of been on this thing for the last couple of years where the sustainability professionals really need to get like more aligned with their their IT, the the IT departments of their companies, um, the the chief digital officers, the chief information officers. Um, I don't see a lot of that collaboration happening, and I think it really does need to happen. Um, you know, is it is it there? No, it's absolutely not there. I think, though, it it very much can be, um, especially with that kind of support. 
Well, one of the things that companies are procuring more and more are offsets. And that brings mm-hmm. us to a story that uh, our associate editor, Jesse Klein, did uh, that we ran this week on uh, state lands uh, becoming a source and possibly federal lands as well, becoming a source for carbon offsets and, and carbon credits. Um, and uh, sort of surprised the fact, uh, maybe not surprised these days, that uh, this is, uh, first of all, there are no carbon offset projects on federal lands and almost none, only two on state lands. And 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 yet that's starting to change. Uh, you worked with her on this story, Heather. Uh, w- w- what are your takeaways? So I think there were a couple takeaways that I had. First of all, it, it is... Um it is a source of land that we haven't really talked about. And it, it and it's, um, you know, it aligns with many states um, sort of focus on addressing climate emissions. I spe- you know, like when you talk about some of the places where the outside, one of them is in Washington state, right? So, which is has a pretty aggressive policies at the state level with respect to, um, you know, managing and managing emissions and, and moving towards a net zero world. So, it makes total sense in the context of the state's strategy for it to use the land um, in this way and to to look at how um, offsets could be created and so forth. The um, the tricky part, one of the tricky parts, I think, is how that land would have been used anyway, and that's sort of what's what's turning to be uh, turning out to be controversial about this, um, you know, because it's. If it was already being conserved, then what's really the value of those credits? Um, what's the additionality, if you will? Um, and is it just another um, source of credits that's, you know, nice, looks nice, but right. but isn't necessarily adding to the to the equation? Um, so so that's <laughs> so that was one of the. Um, the things that I, you know, when I was reading this piece, I was kind of like, hmm, you know, and there's, there's, so there's a, there's definitely some question about how these will really count. Sure. Um, and there's also just a, one other quick thing is, is there also seems to be, um, it came another thing that came out in the article is that there seems to be a little bit of a discrepancy with, you know, what the people managing the land <laughs> are tending to do and what, what's being said. So like, what is this, uh, in the case of the project in Michigan, there's another um, pro- big project in Michigan called the Big Wild Forest Carbon Project, started in spring 2021. It looks like that was, a, I think it was the first one. Um, and the credits are going to um, energy company DTE in, in Detroit. And um, the plan is going to be harvesting 35% less timber than the baseline management plan. But when that that's at least according to the developer. But when Jesse was speaking to, you know, people and others were speaking to them about the project, it seemed, you know, it didn't seem like actually much was going to change. So there's, you know, what what is it really changing? Yeah. So that, I don't know. So that was sort of my, one of my takeaways from this. Yeah. On the one hand, companies and governments are paying farmers in, uh, in the Amazon region, among other places, to not cut down trees and, and, and to for grazing or agriculture. Um, so in other words, to protect the land uh, that would otherwise have been cut down. But that's not the case here, uh, to your point. Um, these are usually state reserves or state parks or, or state-owned lands and federal as well, where they're, by definition, there to preserve these things. So the fact that they would have never have been cut down in the first place are now being 
you know, the source of carbon credits, that's a, that's a kind of a greenwash. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, the potential here, I think, is enormous for generating revenue for states and, yes. and maybe the federal government. Uh, if if And I'm sure some state, maybe California uh, well, or New York or one of the sort of states that tends to lead the pack, will find a way to make available uh, its lands, uh, hopefully in an additional additionality kind of way. In other words, things that wouldn't have happened were it not for the uh, protections of the state, um, you know, that that they can now start to sell these things or make have them be sold on the open market. And that could be millions, uh, perhaps billions of dollars of, of revenue. So I like the potential for that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's, it's definitely like uh, we were talking about before we even recorded, it's definitely something to think about. And, you know, what does it really mean? I don't know that we know exactly yet. And um, we have to see a lot more of these projects, I think, until we, we, we can get a, a clearer picture. But um, certainly something to, to think about. Over the past two years, the number of venture capital firms actively investing in some aspect of climate tech has doubled. We're now approaching 180 of them, according to a running list tallied by the Climate Tech VC newsletter. But only one of those funds, Regeneration.VC, can claim both circular economy pioneer William McDonough and celebrity investor Leonardo DiCaprio as strategic advisors. It is dedicating $45 million to early-stage innovation driven by regenerative and circular principles. Joining me to chat about the vision are general partners Michael Smith and Dan Fishman. Gentlemen, welcome to Green Biz 350. Thank you so much, Heather. Great to be here. Okay, let's start with the backstory. What inspired Regeneration.vc, and how did the two of you wind up collaborating? Uh, yes, yeah, so, so my background starts... Uh, at the intersection of, of brand and entertainment. Uh, I was putting together various brand deals for celebrity and, and hip hop world. Uh, launched a brand with Nicole Richie called House of Harlow in 1960. Built a brand with Jennifer Hudson. Uh, did some work with Quincy Jones and Ludacris on, on creating different uh, brand initiatives. And then uh, after learning supply chain marketing distribution there, I went out and, and started uh, or put together deals to start my own brands. Uh, the first mm -hmm. one was ALC with Andrea Lieberman. And then I was a co-founder of a, a fashion brand called Legence that uh, both of those have scaled into department stores all over the world. Um, left the fashion world and moved over into the food space, sold both brands, but left, left to move over into the food space uh, and became the first investor in Cool House, Mm -hmm. uh, an ice cream company that I helped scale into over 8,000 grocery stores nationwide. Uh, basically, between being in the apparel space and the food space, I, I kind of just saw a lot of things that I didn't, that didn't jive with my curiosity when it came to environmental impact and started looking at, at research. And, and, you know, one, one thing that jumped out at me is that 45% of global greenhouse gas emissions were coming solely from the production of things we use and buy every day. Um, and, then, and then from there, I, was, I read Cradle to Cradle and it just, it blew my mind that consumers really, really do have some power and, and the choices that we make 
in the in the products that we buy add up to to some really large impact. And after investing, I started out investing and getting uh, some startup brands off the ground. I opened up a zero plastic, zero waste grocery concept here in LA called Regrocery, um, hmm. a, a closed loop circular, circular fashion brand called Four Days, and a bunch of others. Uh, you know, Michael and I have been in each other's circles for over 10 years. Uh, he's known my wife longer than I have. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, his, his background in, uh, in, in environment on the philanthropy side, on the impact investing side, uh, just really matched up with what I was looking at and, and his ideas and my ideas just jived and, and the idea of forming a, a venture fund around consumer powered climate innovation just was, was, it was the perfect place, perfect time. And, and we both just jumped headfirst in. I'd love to hear a little bit from you, Michael. Yes. Yeah, so um, I was uh, really lucky in, in having a, a entrepreneurial career that led to good outcomes mm -hmm. and um, set up a family office about seven years ago, fully focused on the climate emergency and made investments in energy, agriculture, consumer, water, uh, a whole host of different areas. Um, and was also similarly inspired by cradle to cradle and the potential of circular economy um, in terms of both uh, environmental opportunity and economic opportunity. And it struck me and learning that um, there wasn't a whole lot of capital going to these solutions, um, that it was a great place to be to be playing. And, and Dan and I, in, in coming together, you know, Dan has so much experience within consumer businesses. I was much more excited about, you know, the materials that go into things and the reuse approaches. So uh, regeneration.vc is an exciting collaboration of, of those parts, and, and we can talk about it in, in further detail, but that's how we came together. Yeah, we sure will. Um, and I, I, your point is taken. Um, I mentioned that, that we've got quite a few companies chasing this space as far as investing in, in, in the climate tech space writ large. But we actually, you know, GreenBiz, we've, we've often commented on the fact that we didn't see as much focus specifically on circular or, or regenerative ventures. I'm, so I'm curious, like, what really differentiates your investing thesis from from those others, um, you know, could you dive into that a little bit more? It's a, it's a great point, and in in ecosystem mapping, all of the early stage funds in and around the environmental space, the majority of them are more generalist. Very few are focused exclusively in the areas that we are, and, and to our knowledge, we're the only early stage consumer focused fund in circular and regenerative. So. In terms of differentiating, I wish there were many more to speak of. And one of our goals is to prove that this is an investable asset class, right? And the pioneering work of groups like Closed Loop have been vital. And there's a, a number of others that have, you know, that attack circular economy from a, a, a wider array of focuses. But we're very attuned to three different things. 
Uh, one is what we call design. These are the materials that go into the products that we're consuming, the fibers and the clothes, the packaging, better food inputs and beverage inputs formulations. The second is use. These are the brands and services that use those materials. And lastly is reuse. This is everything from reverse logistics and upcycling uh, to rental, resell, repair. How do we get more out of the things that we have? And in a world where we send more than 90% of everything to a landfill or an ocean or a natural system. Uh, so we are highly differentiated, but we do hope that we can prove there is investable opportunities here and that this is the future of where consumer products are, mm -hmm. are headed. The word regeneration is in your actual firm name. What is your definition of, of regenerative? It, that's a great um, point, observation, and area of passion. Um, for us, regenerative in the frame of the biosphere are earth systems. These are materials that come from earth. And when we're done with circulating them around, uh, you know, human made approaches of a supply chain, how do we put them back to earth? And what that means in, in practice is the, the furthest along is regenerative agriculture, where you take atmospheric carbon greenhouse gases and, and store them in soils. You enrich the soils and you get better crops out of that or potentially fibers and clothes. So regenerative approaches can benefit planet, can be a net drawdown and then have an output that is beneficial such that the more you consume of these products, the, the more good you are doing. Similarly, end of life, you know, we, you can't just endlessly circulate a product in a, in a circular economy. You need to reintroduce it at some point to a natural system. How do you do that? There's interesting myco remediation technologies. We have a company called Cruise Foam that takes uh, waste stream shells from shrimp and, and crustacean and makes a styrofoam alternative that's home compostable. So these shells would sit in landfill and create methane before. Now these shells can go into your soil at home and regenerate and create a more vibrant um, ecosystem uh, within soils and, re, uh, and, and, and add a variety of values. So um, it's early days on the regenerative side of things, but we feel it's a vital component to bring in the biosphere and the earth system into the discussion of circularity. Right. So let's talk some more about your first portfolio companies. You mentioned Cruise Foam. Um, let's, you know, talk a little bit more about some of the other ones and what criteria did you use to select them? Sure. So uh, Michael already spoke to the, the verticals um, of, of design use and reuse that, that we like to uh, categorize potential investments into. Um, and, and just like every other venture fund, we diligence team and, and financials and business plans and, and so on and so forth, where we differentiate ourselves is on the impact side. Um, financial returns obviously are, are extremely important, but, but the impact side is just as important to us. And uh, under the, the guidance of uh, our partner, Katie Hoffman, uh, we've developed what we're calling our REG system, the Regenerative Evaluation Gauge, where we're measuring the circular and regenerative potential across five core themes. And, and those themes are, are resource footprint, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, material waste, toxicity, and, and the human component. So we wanna to put together a diligence report and an investment memo on both sides of impact and financial. 
And, and so the businesses that we've invested into, we've invested into six businesses. Um, we're actually in deep diligence, uh, probably going to announce a seventh shortly. But those businesses scan everything from uh, Clean02 is a, a microcarbon capture business that has created a tech stack to capture emissions off of natural gas boilers and heaters in, in commercial buildings and convert those emissions into high value uh, carbonates. So potash, which is an, a, uh, an ingredient that goes into everything from uh, industrial cleaning products to fertilizers to soaps. Uh, we have a lifestyle brand that owns IP around the clothing and foods and um, lifestyle that they're, they're building called Pangaea. Uh, they use seaweed fibers in, in clothing and uh, feathers instead of flowers, instead of feathers for, for a down replacement. Uh, Michael spoke about cruise foam. Um, another business is Vitro Labs, which is cell cultured uh, leather. The idea that leather can be grown versus um, uh, the, the obviously traditional way and, and not just grown in a way that it, it, it eliminates animal husbandry, but, but eliminates many of the other chemical components that go into leather. Wow. Lots of different business models there. Um, I have a couple more quick questions for you. Uh, one really pertinent to the Green Biz audience uh, writ large. How do, how do you envision working with large corporations to, to uh, scale these companies and maybe in some cases to help select them? Any thoughts there? Absolutely. We were one of the most encouraging signals that we got on our on our path of, of putting regeneration together was all the commitments coming in from big corporates around a variety of circular uh, um, agenda items, whether that be from Nike and H&M or Unilever, P&G, Apple have all committed to a variety of um, uh, circular outcomes. And we view our portfolio as vital to helping them achieve those outcomes. And thus, we're excited about partnering with large corporations, introducing them to our companies. Uh, we see a lot of potential for collaboration and, and, and welcome it. The incumbents of, these, uh, of a lot of these industries are the perfect partners to reach rapid scale that's required to move the needle on the climate emergency. And so we view them as, as vital to the future success of our, uh, of our fund. So I have to ask, how did you convince Leo DiCaprio to become a limited partner and a strategic advisor? So each of us has actually a separate relationship with, uh, with Leo and his team. Um, my wife has a, a successful entertainment marketing company here in Los Angeles uh, that, that creates strategy around uh, brands and celebrity and influencer. And she's been friends with, with Leo for over 20 years. Uh, Michael has been investing adjacent to, to Leo with, with him and his team for several years into, into several different deals. And so we approached Leo and his team to partner with us, and it, it fell into place for him to not just become a strategic advisor, but but invest and, and anchor our fund. One last question for you guys: uh, What else should we expect this year from you? Yeah, it's been it's been exciting to uh, be able to talk more actively about what we're doing, which just recently happened. Um, so I think you'll see us doing some 
some thought leadership within various areas that we are investing in terms of sharing more information. Uh, a public facing impact report will be coming later in the year. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we look forward to future collaboration within the circular economy ecosystem and are very much open and eager to, uh, to, to, um, to hear from anyone within the green biz community that may have ideas for us as well. And then really focused on adding value in, in what we call supercharging our portfolio companies. So exciting updates for the companies we've invested in, um, new partnerships, new, uh, new channels, and so on and so forth. But it's, it's encouraging and exciting to get the, the feedback. And we're honored that you, uh, that you had us on today. Well, I'm sure happy that you both were here. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Heather. You just heard from the general partners of Regeneration.vc, Michael Smith and Dan Fishman. And that's our 350 podcast for this week. As always, go to greenbiz.com slash 350 to find more about the organization, stories and events we mentioned this week. And while you're on the site, check out our seven free weekly newsletters. Uh, a great way to stay up to date all week long. Just go to greenbiz.com slash newsletters to sign up. We love to hear from you, your comments, questions and tips. Hit us up at 350 at greenbiz.com. And Heather and I will be back next week with yet another edition of Green Biz 350. Until then, from all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. We'll see you next time. 